Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to another GCP Live episode coming to you from Guernsey's 100 year of captive celebration event in London. We have a live audience in front of us who I know are keen to get stuck into the drinks and the bowl food and networking so we will try to keep this discussion light-hearted, short and hopefully fun. But we are celebrating a truly remarkable uh, landmark for, I expect, quite possibly the oldest captive jurisdiction in the world. And we have three expert guests with slightly different perspectives on Guernsey's evolution. We have an independent director on, I believe, four captive boards, Airmix CEO, Julia Graham. I do need to be on my best behavior, Julia, don't I? Because Julia is technically also my boss at Airmix. So welcome, Julia. We also have an elected politician in our midst, not just any politician either, one that actually knows about captive insurance um, and understands what captives are. And presumably that attribute is more common in Guernsey than it is here in London, but certainly welcome nonetheless. States of Guernsey Deputy Mark Hellier, who is well known to many of us, of course, as an off-council lawyer, insurance lawyer at Bedell Criston. Welcome, Mark. And last, but certainly not least, a man who we think was there way back in 1922. Oh, <laughs> brutal. When brutal. it all started, uh, Mr. Malcolm Cuts Watson. Though, of course, of course not. Thankfully, Malcolm is a good friend of mine, so I think I might have got away uh, with that one. I'm sure you all know Malcolm, formerly chairman of the Willis Global Captive Practice and now founder of Cuts Watson Consulting. Welcome, Malcolm. We're going to talk a bit about the past, uh, the impressive evolution from Guernsey to, st uh, to become, to stay, uh, a go-to domicile of choice, and share a few anecdotes and observations along the way for the future, of course. And if we have time, we'll try and squeeze in some very cheesy captive trivia for you as well. But first, Mark, um, Rupert touched on it there a little bit, but of course, we're, we're celebrating 100 years of captives in Guernsey, which is a fantastic milestone. What do we know about that very first captive 100 years ago? Well, thank you, Richard. Um, th there's quite a lot in the, uh, in, in, in the article that's within the magazine that's here for everybody, on, uh, particularly on starts on page 8. Um, but I've done some extra research because it, it is a very important uh, a, a time to celebrate. And one of the things I looked at at page 8 is the... Uh, registration from the court of Guernsey because in, uh, in in 1922 when this company was first registered under the 1908 law you had to have seven members of a company in order to be able to register it which meant that um, generally speaking every man and his dog all the all the clerks in the office the secretaries and everybody were named as members uh, nominee members of a particular company but there are two very interesting ones that appear on this list and one is um, Victor Gosselin Carey um, and, and many of the people in this room will recognise the offshore firm Kerry Olson yep. because he was an advocate and probably the person that made the application to the court. And later, as a matter of cultural history, he became the bailiff of Guernsey in 1935 and stayed as the bailiff because he had to because we had a Nazi op occupation. And uh, he stayed as the bailiff until, uh, until 1946. So a very important character in Guernsey history. But there was another uh, name that jumped out to me, Richard, which was a chap, it's not a very local name, I know this is not a local <laughs> podcast, but um, Farrah Wolferston Thomas. And uh, I thought that's an unusual name, so I thought I'd do some research on it. And it turns out that Farrah Wolferston Thomas was a shipping agent. 
So we may have um, the first evidence of a non-executive director with some experience of what the company was insuring because when the Vesti Group formed this, it had the largest, well, the, the world's first and largest refrigerated uh, shipping fleet in the world. Uh, they made a lot of money out of the First World War shipping beef, uh, from, particularly from South America, from Uruguay uh, and other places. But they had the, the world's largest and first fully integrated uh, company. So they, they produced the food, particularly poultry, beef and eggs. Uh, they then shipped it, they butchered it, and they brought it to the market. In, in the UK in 1923, it says in the, in the Vesey uh, inventory of their history, which I've done a bit of work on, they had 3,000 Dewhurst butcher outlets in the UK. And so this company must have been dedicated to ensuring some of those risks, in, including shipping. Fantastic, yeah, and I think there's a whole other podcast, a whole other, whole other debate that maybe I'm, only in, I'm the only person that's interested in about who is the oldest captive, what is the oldest captive. I think the Lufthansa captive is 96 years old, the Salvation Army captive here in the UK is similar age, I think, possibly to when commercial was set up. Malcolm, despite my earlier jibe, uh, you have actually worked in, in different domiciles throughout those hundred years um, during your career, but ultimately only made it to Guernsey in 1994. When you think back to when you arrived um, 20, 28 years ago, how established was it as a captive domicile then and, and how recognisable is it today to what it was then? Well, first of all, can I say there were no dinosaurs when <laughs> I arrived in Guernsey. But uh, I think my initial impression when I was flying in over Guernsey was, gosh, there's a lot of glass here. And uh, <laughs> it was a time when Guernsey was moving away from tomato growing into the finance industry. So an awful lot of greenhouses, um, which... Was, was pretty impressive when you landed. Um, getting, getting to know the industry, I suppose there's a few things I recognized. One was there was an incredible pool of talent here. Uh, a lot of people had come from uh, Bermuda, Cayman, and obviously a lot of people from the London market being so close by. So I, w I was very impressed with the depth of um, experience. And the next thing was I was impressed really with the technical uh, capability. A lot of people were trained underwriters, and there was a lot of interest in really being involved in the underwriting and acceptance of risk processing, which I think in some other domiciles, it's more uh, the insurance managers are more doing the implementation of what the client and the broker wants. So that impressed me. But I think the thing that really impressed me really was the entrepreneurial spirit of Guernsey. And I suppose there's a history there of being slightly independent. I mean, they went self-governed in 1204. They decided not to go into the EU in 1971. Um, so they've got a history, really, of being independent. But um, what I discovered when I, when, I, when I arrived was my predecessor had set up what I suppose was one of the earlier versions of InsuraTech. Mm. Um, this is before the internet was in place. But he'd created a mutual of freight forwarders who basically had to provide guarantees to HM Customs for the duty that they were dealing with the imports. And basically, he set up a, a, a process whereby these freight forwarders would download their, their transactions, their, their imports for the day, every night. And the, and the mutual in Guernsey would gather that information, uh, monitor the exposure, and basically settle the uh, duty that was due to HM Customs. And that was set up in the 80s, a really incredible uh, uh, piece of work. In terms of what's changed, uh, I'm not sure a, a, a lot has changed really. I mean, the basic ethos 
of the Guernsey uh, insurance community, I think, is still there. Professionalism, uh, you know, client dedication. Um, maybe the offerings are a lot broader now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's more governance. Uh, you can debate whether that's a good or a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> sort of a regulator um, would love us to debate yeah, that. Th things are carrying on. Um, captives aren't always the most uh, sexy of areas to cover as a journalist, I'd say, but naturally they can uh, be involved in some way in ensuring high-profile events or be caught up in, in company restructuring. I believe, Malcolm, you have one particularly interesting anecdote regarding a former high-profile UK businessman and, and their captive. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, most of you may be aware of the Maxwell name. Uh, the daughter has been in the press recently, but her father, Robert Maxwell, was a uh, owner of a communication and I think the Mirror Group um, and had a reputation of being quite a, uh, I say, charismatic business person. Um, but it, it, it's rumoured that he boarded his yacht in um, Gibraltar with the view of coming to Guernsey to basically see if he could raid the captive's coffers because he had a captive in Guernsey and he'd been going around his various subsidiaries trying to get cash to, to finance his debt. And you may be aware that um, unfortunately he fell off the back of the boat um, and it was, dis well, I think thought to be uh, suicide. But what happened, of course, was at that point there was a run on the company and uh, it, it became insolvent. So his whole empire collapsed. But what I'm pleased to report is the captive in Guernsey, I think, was one of the few subsidiaries within his empire that actually was able to run off in an orderly manner um, and actually return surplus funds back to the administrators of the overall estate. And, and I think that's a real endorsement, really, of the partnership between the, the, cap, the captive manager and the regulator to make sure that the, you know, all the creditors were settled of the captive and that we actually returned some money to the, the distressed shareholders. There's a similar story, although not the same and not as dramatic or maybe as high profile in that way, but there's the Enron, cap Enron, when Enron failed, the Vermont captive was able to be kept going and pay the claims, long tail claims it had and wasn't uh, given up to the, uh, to the kind of liquidators, I'm not sure what the right term is in the, in, in the United States. But Robert Maxwell, of course, was also Derby County's owner for a period in, in the 80s, my football club. So there's an interesting link there between me and captives that go way back. Julia, when did you first visit then or become aware of the jurisdiction's role in, in the captive world? Well, well, Richard, I'm surprised that you got this far without mentioning Derby, but um, uh, there we go, can't win them all. Um, it probably goes back a lot further than many people might think it does in terms of those who know me. Um, my first connection with captives went back to the days that I worked for Royal Insurance in Liverpool, and I worked for the chief property underwriter, and he said, I've got a job that I want you to pick up, and that is managing Royal's in-house captive. Now, I got very excited because that captive was domiciled in Bermuda. And he said, don't get too excited. We've just moved it to the Isle of Man. <laughs> now, if you work in Liverpool and you know the Isle of Man, which I knew quite well, I said, where else could it be? Um, now, being a big fan of Bergerac and John Nettles, I said, how about, how about the Channel Islands? And he said, well, actually, we're going to also ask you to work with the um, ICCI in the Channel Islands, and we want you to go and meet a chap called Sir Peter Walpole. That's, the Sir Peter is my bit on the front. <laughs> so my introduction was actually through Peter Walpole and ICCI, and I went down to the Channel Islands, and we moved our captive 
into Guernsey. And so that was my first uh, experience of what a captive might do. I'd never heard of captives, by the way, until that time. It really wasn't on my radar as a vehicle that we could use. But that was my first introduction. And we used it really not for financial reasons, we used it for risk management reasons. And we used it to fund some of what we were doing on risk management in the company rather than as a financial vehicle. So I became very fond of my trips down to Guernsey and got to know ICCI very well indeed and still have friends who work there today, um, many of whom ended up working with me in what became RSA when we moved to Horsham after the merger between the two companies. Um, subsequent to that, I then moved from RSA and worked for a global law firm. And they said, we've got a captive. I said, oh, have you really? Where, where's that? And they said, Guernsey. <laughs> so um, we were one of the first law firms to set up a captive in the islands. And that was just about 20 years ago now. And in fact, I've just retired from that board um, after 15 years. Um, and I've just taken up a, a different captive board position to um, compensate for changing that one. And one thing I remember is that the reason we set that captive up was completely different to the reason that the captive exists today. And I think the really smart thing about captives is that they should serve what you want them to be. And what they are today may well not be what they served when you set them up in the first place. And I think that's the joy of, of the vehicle called a captive, is that it should be what you want it to be. And it doesn't constrain you. What it does is it supports the business that you want to have. So yeah, back to ICCI, back to the days of where else is there other than the Isle of Man? I've got no, I hope there's nobody from the Isle of Man that I'm offending. <laughs> but it is one of those places where people say it's very- a couple of people very, just walked out. Yeah, well, it's one of those places where people say it's very nice when the sun shines, but it never shone when I was there. So um, I'm, I'm a Guernsey fan through and through. Yeah, I, I had a girlfriend from the Isle of Man, actually. So I visited a few times the Isle of Man in my 20s, but I haven't, haven't been back uh, for numerous reasons. Um, Mark, uh, today, of course, you are an elected politician. You look like you're going to try and say something there, but I'm going to stop you. I'm not sure what you're going to say. Um, you're an elected politician, of course, in Guernsey, but we, we, we first met, like most of people in this room, actually, eight years ago when I joined Captain Review and I visited your law offices on the island, I remember, at the time, and you probably thought, who the hell is this guy? Um, but you, you don't practice law just in captives, of course. So what is your obs observation of how important a part it plays in the local economy uh, in Guernsey and, and Guernsey's reputation as an international financial centre? Um, it's a very good question. The, um, the captive industry has been innovating since the, the structure that we talked about earlier now for far, far longer than the conventional wisdom of, about offshore finance. So the conventional wisdom, even if you speak to people that live in Guernsey, they would say, oh, well, the finance started in the 70s when tomatoes went off the boil, um, quite literally. Um, but that's not true. We've been doing this kind of business now for a very, very long time. And the, the way in which you build up a, you know, a groundswell of opinion, and it's funny, you were saying it before about the first captive. Well, there's an interesting pre-point to that, which is a historical one again, which was that every now and again when the UK goes to war, it turns to the Channel Islands for a bit of financial compensation. Uh, so it asks for the, for the Channel Islands, Jersey and Guernsey to, co to, to actually contribute to the war, and that includes the Falklands, 
Um, but if you go back to the, the Boer War, um, you know, pre-20th century, Jersey and Guernsey were both asked to contribute. And one of the things that Jersey did when it brought in the equivalent to the 1908 uh, companies law was to say that Jersey companies cannot underwrite English risk. It was prohibited from Jersey companies to do that. And that's one of the reasons why Guernsey has an insurance industry, which it's not just captors, it's ILS, it's general insurance. And I'm a director on ICCI, funnily enough, Julia. Um, and it, it does all those other things as well. The, the key thing is it's never, ever stopped innovating. I mean, we, we talk about 1922 tonight, but it's probably actually quite a bit before that, or the, or the UK government wouldn't have asked or, or accepted that to be a, an exception to the law in Jersey. So it's kept innovating. PCCs, ICCs, ILS, I can name lots and lots of different structures, some of which I've been involved in. Uh, in ILS and other areas, and it's never ever stopped moving. The insurance industry doesn't stop moving, risk doesn't stop changing, uh, and we continue to adapt uh, and, uh, and provide a market for that kind of alternative risk transfer. What do we know about the, um, the economic impact and value of the captive insurance in, insurance sector in, in Guernsey. Malcolm, I think you've done a bit of work on, on this. Yeah, you? yeah, thanks. That's, that, that's a great segue into the um, the strategic review of the insurance sector <laughs> that Cut Swatson Consulting did. Thank, thanks very much for that. Uh, I'll buy you a drink afterwards. It's an open um, bar, but sure. But, but, uh, but it employs, and I'm just going to look at the stats now, 750 people are directly or indirectly involved. Um, there's £4.6 billion uh, pounds of premium. Um, it represents 15% of the finance industry and generates about £194,000 per employed member of staff. So, yeah, it, it punches not to be sniffed above at. its weight, just slightly above its weight. Not my weight, but most people's <laughs> weight. <laughs> so let, let's look ahead then. Maybe let's not look ahead another 100 years forward, but in terms of where captors are heading in the next 5 to 10 years and, and what role or influence Guernsey can have on that, Julia, obviously, with your role at Airmic, you have interaction with, with several, well, several captives as a board member and many more captives in terms of the sophisticated captive owners we have in our captive special interest group that we run, uh, and many of those are domiciled in Guernsey, of course. How do you see utilisation of captives by corporates evolving right now and, and maybe in the coming years as well? Okay. Um I think there's a couple of things I see. Um, the more conventional use of captives and the less conventional. What we do see is that once people start using a captive, they don't go back to what they did before. It has great um, continuity and stability to the risk financing of organisations. I mean, the ones that I've been involved in on boards, not only has it improved the control of how they manage their risk, but it's also saved them an enormous amount of money and, and certainly what I also see is that it gives those organizations a personal investment in managing risk and if I use the analogy of law the partners own the captive we've always managed to ring fence it away from the partners wanting to take profit out every year but it's personal and when it's personal people take it seriously so I think what a captive does is it gives you ownership of managing risk, which I think is very powerful. However, today, what we're seeing is some really innovative purpose and uses for what captives are being put to. Risk that perhaps the insurance industry has struggled with, some of the systemic issues that we see, 
where the captive gives you an ability, again, to manage risk in the way that you want to. It allows you um, potentially also to fund investments into risk management. And therefore, it's starting to get much um, more often used in areas that perhaps a few years was unheard of, be that the more conventional risks like cyber and through to some of the less conventional risks involving interesting uses of capital, including for issues like pension funds. So I think um, the captive has a very promising future. Um, we started up a captive special interest group. How long ago was that, Richard? Well, it's way before me. I mean, it was probably about 20 years ago. Was Alan Fleming? It was, it, it, it was, quite, it was, it was Alan, Alan Fleming. Fleming it? Yeah, yeah, it was. But what we see today is that looks very different yeah. to the history that Alan created for us. And when we have captive special interest group meetings today, which uh, Richard organises for us, the subject range that we cover is absolutely incredible. Um, and we've got a very interesting session that we're going to be running at our forum in March next year, where we've got some captive managers from some of the biggest companies in the world who've got captives and how they're new, now using that for blended systemic risk. I could never have imagined that that was a purpose that captives would be used for even a few years ago. And very importantly, these captives are domiciled in Guernsey. So I'm very proud to be associated with Guernsey, really interested in seeing what the future of Guernsey has to offer. Can I look forward to 100 years? <laughs> No, um, I can look forward. I'm not like, days I'm, I'm, is what I'm I'm not like yourself, is. you know. I've been around a long time, but um, all I can say is that they have a promising future, and I see that it's not a future that people are going to backtrack on. It's going to grow, and it's got great stability, in my view. Can Can I just throw sure. in a couple of comments as well, Richard? Yeah. Um, so. Uh, so the one thing I see really is a greater synergy between the captive and the various other financial services sectors like fiduciary, family offices, investment funds and, and capital markets. And, you know, and a captive is sort of bilingual in that you know, it can work in, in all, the, all the different financial sectors. So I see it playing a role there. The other thing I see is probably what Steve Butterworth's original vision of the PCC was, which is effectively a hybrid model where you have insurance in one cell, investment activity in another cell, treasury in another, you know, uh, invoicing in another. I think that's going to happen in, in the future. People are going to set up a offshore vehicle that will do all of those things. Uh, and the last thing, which is my soapbox, which everyone's sick of me talking about, <laughs> is disaster relief. I think, I think there's a real role to be played with the captive technology in terms of retaining risk and transferring the risk into the capital markets that really can be exploited. And I think Guernsey it has got all the right characteristics and attributes to be a natural home for those type of vehicles. Um, I'd, I'd add another word to that as well, and that is the word of trust. You know, when you invest in a captive in Guernsey, the word I hear spoken very often is that it's a market that you can trust. And so you can, I'm sure you can get sexier places in the world. I'm sure you can. Certainly but, warmer. But if you want somewhere that you trust and that's got a great regulatory environment, and, and some of us love regulation and some less so, but nevertheless, if you're recommending to a board a jurisdiction where you know that it's stable, you know that it's trusted, and you know that it's well regulated, then Guernsey's got the lot for me. I'll just add, Richard, that in, in my experience, um, 
having sat on many captives that are FTSE 250 companies, that when you come to it the first time or when you get a new CFO, you, you often find they don't spend enough time talking to the group risk officer. And the captive is the place where those two things come together often for the first time. You, you need to have advocates on the board of the parent company in order for a captive to work properly because the CFO will often look as a captive as a pot of cash that they can use for something else. And it's really important, I think, to bringing all of the risk knowledge together in one place in a captive, particularly when they have a global operation, is absolutely vital to the management because otherwise that can be spread across a whole load of different subsidiaries with different types of lines. Uh, you're not really understanding how money is passing into the market that you're not getting the best benefit for. And a captive is a great place for the CFO to spend quality time with the group risk officer because that money is absolutely vital because when things go wrong, you're talking about cyber, that's the new thing. Um, I've seen a lot of conversations about what actually is our cover? What do we covered for if something goes wrong tomorrow? How is this going to respond to what our actual risk is? And those conversations are absolutely vital and they don't happen, I suspect, in companies that don't have that kind of focus. So uh, I'm going to have to cut you off there because I do want to quite really squeeze in a bit of captive trivia before we let everyone back to the bar and start eating because I didn't have lunch and I'm flipping hungry. So um, we're going to play a game now. We're going to play a game of higher or lower. People of a certain age might remember such games. I don't remember them. Um, higher or lower in relation to domicile numbers. Okay. So uh, we did this at the Seeker conference in March. You will be working as a team, the three of you. So you're working together, not against each other. Maybe you should nominate a spokesperson to give the final answer of, of whether it's higher or lower. And we'll see how many you can get right in a row. If you want to try and help from the crowd, if you think they're struggling and you want to try and give them a hint, you can, you can try and help them. If you want to trust that help, is obviously up to you three. Uh, we're, doing, uh, we're going to be doing this again at GCP Live at the European Captive Forum next month. So we'll, we'll see how their score compares to the, the Europeans uh, next month. I'm actually going to be using CAP to reviews domicile numbers, but they are domicile numbers from 2020. Because I don't Very suspect. Yeah, not reliable. <laughs> no, no comment on that. I don't collect <laughs> them anymore. Uh, but we'll be using uh, CAP to reviews world domicile update from last year. So we're looking at 2020 year-end numbers. There were 6,304 total captives uh, at the end of 2020, excluding, excluding cells, and all these numbers exclude cells. So do consult with each other before giving me a final answer. It should start off fairly easy, and it will get harder from there. So we'll start with Guernsey, of course. Why not? So I can tell you that at the end of 2020, Guernsey had 287 active captives, according to Captive Review. The question is, do you think the number of captives in Isle of Man at the end of 2020 was higher or lower than Guernsey? So, so I, apparently, Richard, I'm the spokesman. Uh, we think they were lower in the Isle of Man. Correct. There you go. Okay, that's one. Good game. We've got one. Okay. <laughs> Next up, so Isle of Man had 96 captives at the end of 2020. So 96 is a number you need to know about now. Isle of Man had 96 captives at the end of 2020. Did Barbados have higher or lower number of captives than the Isle of Man? Higher. Higher. The answer from the um, panel is higher. Higher. Correct. Number that's two in a row. That's two in a row. Okay. Now it gets a bit harder. I think Missouri. How many captives did Missouri have uh, at the end of 2020? Was it higher than 270? So Barbados had 278 captives. Was it higher than 278 or lower than 278? Missouri. Sorry, can you, can you say what, what, what jurisdiction is it again? The state of Missouri in the United States. The state of Missouri. Yeah. 
278 was the Barbados number. 278. I'll have to do a countdown. So it's a, uh, it's a split decision here, so uh, I got the casting vote, we'll say higher. Higher? Higher than 278? That's the decision of the judges. Uh, well that's entirely my fault then. So you got two, only got two in a row correct, so I think Emma's going to be on the panel in, uh, in Luxembourg uh, next month, so we'll have to see if Emma and her team can, can beat two, but let's give them a round of applause for a valiant effort there of... of, of Missouri, Missouri had 70, Missouri had 74 captives at the end of 2020. Well, thank you anyway. I'll let you all go now. So thank you to our panelists uh, and our audience for bearing with us. Uh, Julia Graham, Mark Hellier and Malcolm Caps Watson. And thank you, of course, to We Are Guernsey and the Guernsey International Insurance Association for organizing this event and inviting GCP to host this live episode. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well and see you next time, captives.